presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcast? Welcome to your favorite podcast, Ojedas Coisas, with your favorite host, Juo Gabriel. Uh, thanks also to Cozy Earth for sponsoring today's episode. You'll hear more about them later. Now, why, you might ask, John, why did you pronounce the show's name and your name in Portuguese? Uh, that's because we're talking all about Brazil today. I've often mentioned that the U.S. press doesn't cover much going on outside of the country, and if they do, they cover it very poorly. That goes double for anything in Latin America, where a lot of politics are going down in the past couple of years. There are now leftist governments in Nicaragua, Venezuela, Honduras, Colombia, Chile, uh, but there's also a lot of pushback. There's a lot of unrest in these countries with people getting tired of the leftist agenda. Chile, the leftist government there, tried to push this radical communist constitution, and it was just crushed. They had to go to a vote for it, and it was destroyed. So um, it's not like uh, the good guys are losing everywhere down there, but there is a battle going on, and you should be aware for aware of that. Um, so at the beginning of this month, Brazil had an election and a bunch of people ran for to be the president. Now, if you got 50% of the vote, that meant you were good, you were the president. If you got under, if the top vote getter got under 50%, that meant it went to a recall. Well, you have a former president who's a scumbag. He's a far leftist. He's an ex-con who was let out of jail early and uh, used to be president way back when, got involved in all kinds of corruption while well, he was running again. And all the polls said he would run away with the election, get over 50%. He did not. He got 48% about. And the guy who came in number two is Jair Bolsonaro, who's the current president. Uh, you'll probably know him from any time the U.S. media talks about him. They just say, oh, he's Trump of Brazil, which he is not. But he came in with 43%. He was not supposed to do close to that good. Um, and like I said, Lula was supposed to do much, much better. And so now just those two are facing each other this Sunday, October 30. So the polling is extremely close. It's just within a point or two, depending on the poll you look at. So this week, getting a little nervous, a bunch of leftist judges shut down press freedoms only for Bolsonaro supporters. So you can't say good things about Bolsonaro. You can't say bad things about Lula. It's pretty sickening. And even people on the left are like, wait a minute. Lula isn't even president yet, and uh, they're already shutting down free speech. This is not good. So to give a preview for this big election happening Sunday, I invited a conservative Brazilian political analyst. We follow each other on Twitter a long time. She's now living in the U.S., Anna Paula Henkel. She has more than 1.5 million followers on Twitter. Huge in Brazil, I might add. She's all over YouTube. You can find her work also on a few Brazilian news sites, Revista Oeste and Jovem Pan. Before getting into politics, get this. She played for Brazil's national volleyball team and competed in four Olympics. She's the two-time world champion in beach volleyball and won the bronze in 96 for indoor volleyball. So since she is so in touch, she was just in Brazil a few days ago, I wanted to hear what's going on in this, the largest country in South America, and uh, what to expect going forward. So let's get to that interview. Ana Paula Henkel, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, well, um, it was it's just a great opportunity because um, 
before we actually started recording. It drives me crazy because the U.S. media never reports on what's going on. Well, they report poorly on what's going on anywhere outside of D.C. or in D.C. for that matter, let alone south of our border where there is an entire world, basically, and uh, stuff's going on all the time. Uh, big election coming up in Brazil, and right. it's uh, Bolsonaro, who's the incumbent, and Lula, who's the ex-incumbent, what would you call him, For, <laughs> former president, um, a very colorful character himself. Uh, why don't you just tell me about the two people, because the election is just in a few days. It's a runoff election, so. Oh, my gosh, John. Um do you have like seven hours to explain the whole thing? <laughs> um, it's uh, I am married to uh, an American citizen. I am also American, an American citizen now, and as well as Brazilian. But it, it's it's quite difficult here in my house to explain to my husband and my my American family here and my friends here in California the 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 things and all the nuances of Brazilian politics because first of all I, I think for Americans to understand um what we have to go through in Brazil is that we don't have the same uh federalism that we have here in the United States where states they have more autonomy and more independence uh and the constitution is very slim with only 27 amendments in Brazil, we have a very thick constitution that it's not, it's fairly young. It's from 1988. Wow. And it has already more than 230 amendments. Uh, and it's a nightmare. It's a, our constitution uh, does not protect the people like uh, we are protected here in the United States by the First Amendment or the Second Amendment. We're not allowed to have guns in Brazil to protect our property, to protect our family. Uh, and we don't have, the states The states don't have uh, their own Senate or their own Supreme Court or their own federal judges. It's just like a big hand of power in Brasilia, which is the capital of Brazil. So everything in Brazil comes from federal government. It's either the executive or uh, the Supreme Court in, in, this, in the Capitol, which is composed by uh, 11 Supreme Court justices. And, and just a, a parenthesis here, they're not judges. Anybody, anybody can be a Supreme Court justice. They're oh, not wow. judges, they're not lawyers, they're just people appointed by political parties. And that's where the problem right now resides on in Brazil. The Supreme Court justices, uh, the vast majority, nine of them, were appointed by uh, Lula, the former president of Brazil, who, who was in jail. And that's another chapter that hopefully <laughs> I can explain to Americans. And... Um, and, and everything, it's just a very, very activist Supreme Court right now. Uh, actually, in fact, it goes against the very, uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm a very uh, deep admirer of uh, Antonin Scalia here in the United States, and he used to criticize so much 
the so-called living constitution. But basically, it's what we have in Brazil right now. If legislators in Congress, they don't want to talk about laws, the Supreme Court justices appointed by Lula, they say, well, if you don't want to talk about this, we're going to stretch the constitution here and we're going to make it happen anyway. And And it's happening. And because of that living constitution, uh, they released Lula, who was convicted by three courts. He had his time in jail uh, increased by the appellate court. And in this appellate court, there were three judges appointed by his administration. And they all three, accor- according to documents, they convicted him and said, Yes, there's enough evidence here that you need to be in jail for 12 years. So he went to jail and he was in jail for a little bit more than a year and a half. And then the Supreme Court justices appointed by him um, stretched the Constitution and found uh, illegal and unconstitutional ways to release him from jail. And now he's running for president. That's the short version of everything that I've been trying to explain here to my husband for the last 10 years that we've been together. <laughs> right. Now, Bolsonaro, um, the only reason the U.S. media cared about reporting about him at all is, oh, my gosh, he's going to destroy the country. He will shut down free speech, which now, as we'll get to, is very ironic. Um, and so the media here has just been nuts about him. Now, what is he doing? He seems like, and again, I'm not an expert on this, um, but very straight, straight talking, straight shooting, wanted people to be able to defend themselves over rising crime. So what can you say about him? Well, President Bolsonaro, he is, He's the new Nazi for the liberals, right? Just like Trump, just like Ronald Reagan, um, um, (laughs) just just like any of them, right? Any Republican uh, president here in the United States. The thing is, Bolsonaro, he uh, he kind of like crushed the like Thomas Sowell likes to say the the anointed bubble, right? So he basically uh, started to talk to people and he was elected in 2018 he was a he was a congressman for 27 years and when he was in congress he never made any deals uh to pass his laws or or his bills or his proposals so he was always seen as a a low congressman a low budget congressman nobody should pay attention to to this guy but what they what the what the ivory towers didn't realize is that uh, in this years he was building a very special and organic connection with the people so when 2018 came nobody believed he was going uh, to even uh, pass to to the runoff because he didn't have money, he didn't have the establishment, the deep state, nobody was on his side, but he had social media. And his campaign was basically done through social media and uh, messaging apps like WhatsApp and Telegram. And he won. 
And the whole establishment was like, wow, now we need to take him, him down. And he, you know, overnight he became the new Hitler in Brazil that was going to, um, kill the constitution, not respect the constitution and shut down the Congress. But the truth is in the last four years, President Bolsonaro has been the only one in our three branches that is truly and deeply respecting our constitution. He's been trying to fight the establishment and all the unconstitutional acts signed by Supreme Court justices with the Constitution. But they need to take him down because he exposed the deep state. He exposed the corrupt ties to parties and and Supreme Court justices and federal judges. And the ivory towers are mad at him. Yeah. And um, a lot of people, at least that I saw the reporting here in the States, thought in the election that uh, Lula would win pretty easily. Um, as it turns out, Bolsonaro did much better than at least the media predicted. And now they're going to a runoff election. And Lula's, uh, those wonderful judges again, have decided to try to silence the pro-Bolsonaro people, which That's is right. amazing. You sent me an amazing article from the Wall Street Journal that I tweeted out yesterday. Uh <laughs> just talking about this, um, for all the complaints about Bolsonaro being this, he's going to be the next dictator, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the ones trying to shut down the freedom of speech are all on the left. Exactly. Um, we have uh, our media in Brazil, our press in Brazil is a bit different uh, than here in the United States, because here we know that CNN, MSNBC, they all go to the left and Fox News is on the right and Newsmax and etc. But in Brazil, uh, the liberal channels, they pretend they're in the middle and then they're fair to everybody. They're fair to the right, they're fair to the left, which is not true because you turn on CNN Brazil and there's their 24-7 uh, hammering Bolsonaro and ho- and telling everybody how Bolsonaro is bad, is for the economy and bad for society. So um, I'm part of a new news channel now. It just became uh, cable news. Uh, it w- we w- we've been in the radio. This 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 was originally a radio station, and it's uh, 82 years old. It was wow. Just, you know, yeah. It's just like conservative uh, views uh, and they always dominated their radio in Brazil. And then a few years ago, they went on YouTube when they hired me to talk about American politics. And it was just a huge boom because for years, Brazilians only heard liberal American liberal media telling Brazilians that Republicans were racist, Republicans were bad, and Trump is bad, etc. And then um, me and another two other Brazilians who live in Florida, we started to report to Brazilians like, hey, listen, it's not exactly like that. And then Brazilians started to dig in on the internet themselves, right? And we always said, look, just don't believe me. Just hear the other side and go right. do your homework. And you guys decide whatever you want to decide. I'm not here to say this is 
the absolute truth. If you don't believe me, uh, you are fake news, whatever. Here's the other side. Go dig it in. And they did. And they were absolutely surprised what they were starting to discover. The same happened with uh, Brazilian politics. A couple of years ago, Javing Pan came to YouTube and we started to provide a new nuance of uh, Brazilian politics. And last year we became a cable channel on TV. And in one year, we already passed CNN. We already passed all the other TV uh, news, uh, cable news in Brazil. And and John, the system got mad at us. Like who, who, who they think they are. They think they can come and they tell people the truth and give them another vision of of the world no the pe- brazilian people needs to be fed with our uh, ministry of truth right the, right. Uh, the <laughs> we need to feed the brazilian people with we want them to believe so then there was just a big um uh, a, a, a big movement with congressmen people in congress the media and the judiciary, just like we've seen here in the United States. The media makes a hit piece about something, and then it feeds the Congress to act in some kind of committee, and then it feeds the judiciary to sign something that will shut down whatever. And last week, they or two weeks ago, I should say, they said that Javin Pan was way too much pro bolsonaro and we should refrain and that was this is a decision of a court because in brazil there's the supreme court and during the elections we have what it's called the electoral court that is presided by one of the supreme court justices so it's pretty much just a little extension of the supreme court so the electoral court told us from jovem pan Two weeks ago that we cannot talk about Lula's past in jail and all the process that he's been convicted by three courts. We cannot use any kind of a, a adjective like corrupt or thief or oh, we can't even say, John, that he's friends with dictators in, in Latin America. We can't say that. We can't say that he's friends with Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, who's, uh, you know, chasing down Christians, priests and nuns there. We can't say that he's friends with the dictators in Venezuela or in Africa. We can't say that because that that would be pictured as we're just trying to smear a candidate. So uh, it's just like completely... It came to a completely shock that even some outlets uh, in the press are in a profound silence in terms of uh, suppressing the freedom of speech and the freedom of press in Brazil, and um, they're shutting us down. We can't we can't say anything about Lula. Yeah, that is so frustrating to say the least. Have the people responded to this? Because it seems like. I don't know, it, it could backfire and actually help Bolsonaro, uh, knowing seeing the courts trying to pretend that Lula is some kind of a saint. 
Yes, it, uh, it, it started to backfire. And um, some people that uh, didn't vote for Lula nor Bolsonaro two weeks ago in the first run of the, the, the election, there were uh, four candidates. The people that voted for the other two candidates, they probably wouldn't even vote now. They would just sit down and watch. Some people are coming out saying, whoa, it's getting a little out of hand here. If it's already like this, when Lula is just running for office, can you imagine if he becomes president? That would be a nightmare. So I'm a little scared. I had friends that came to me and said, oh, I'm going to vote for Bolsonaro, not because I like him, but I'm afraid. I I'm freaking out that if Lula wins, he's going to shut down the freedom of speech. Oh, by the way, John, Lula already went on TV many times, many times during the last year saying, we need to regulate the media. We need to regulate the press. And then when he was asked, what kind of regulation would you uh, bring on or impose? He said, we need to regulate what they say. Wow. So it, it's very, we're living a very, very scary moment in Brazil that we see only in dictatorships. Or in 1984 by George Orwell, um, it, it's pretty scary right now. People are afraid that we 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 might become uh, a new Venezuela, especially because the last seven years, and and this is another um, long subject. But please go on, go to Google and see. Uh, Lava Jato, the car wash operation, and how much money Lula and his political party threw uh, under the under the table on Venezuela, on African dictators, uh, in in corrupt systems and corrupt schemes. That th this is taxpayer money in Brazil going to dictatorships throughout the world through a political party in Brazil. And they have like a big, big project of power in Brazil. That's the truth. They want, there's a, something called uh, Foro de São Paulo, which is a big Latin American league of the left, like the far left, not even the social Democrats, but the far left, the, the communists. And Brazil is the last one standing in this uh, this web of power there that they are trying to create for Latin America. Yeah, it's it is really crazy. And there's several countries right now throughout Latin America trending to the left. Honduras is one. And uh, and yeah, you've already mentioned others, Venezuela, of course, Nicaragua and Chile, at least their voters rejected a an attempted switch to their constitution. Right which would have been crazy far, far to the left. Um, that would have made that basically a leftist. Oh, look at Argentina. Is a, it's just pure chaos now. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just awful. And it's such an important region. And especially, too, as America, over the next few years, they've already started, gets away from China and even uh, distances itself from Europe. It's like this is a chance for smart people throughout the Americas to unite, work together, trade together. You mentioned Thomas Sewell. It's like this could be this golden opportunity for everybody throughout the Americas to 
get wealthier, get freer, you know, work together and uh, to see countries uh, trending to the left. And America, of course, did in 2020. Um, it's very, very frustrating. <laughs> and I'm sure it's very frustrating to you and all your friends in Brazil. Yeah, it's very frustrating, John, because um, I feel like uh, we we are here in the United States. We are, I always tell my friends in Brazil, we come from the future. We are two years ahead of the same things that are happening in Brazil. So we've witnessed everything happening here with Trump. The impeachment, let's impeach him for this, for that, for having a glass of water. Let's impeach <laughs> the... And the same thing happened in Brazil. They tried to impeach Bolsonaro for four years. They tried to say he was the new Nazi. He was going, uh, he, he was going to have a coup. It just the same thing, right? This absolutely the same thing. And it seems like nothing really could get to him and his image because he's a very simple man. Uh, he's different than Trump in that sense because, you know, Trump could be called like a CEO of United States. He comes right. from the business um, uh, business field. Bolsonaro is like a very simple man he he talks in a very organic and natural way with people from agriculture which in brazil it's one of the main engines of our social slash economic uh, system and what bolsonaro did is that he put in his cabinet he, he put people with very First of all, very patriotic people, people that absolutely love Brazil. They're rich, but they love Brazil. They didn't need to be there, but they said, we're going to do this for Brazil. And they're very technical, like the Secretary of uh, Treasury, uh, Paulo Gadges. I don't know if you know, but we are here in the United States suffering with this crazy inflation, like the, the highest in the last 40 years and the immigration problems and everything. But in Brazil, we had deflation for three months. Wow. And the gas prices went down, food prices went down. And when people ask why food prices went down, it's because Brazil is a massive land of uh, agriculture uh, business. But right before the war between Ukraine and Russia, President Bolsonaro went to Russia to meet Vladimir Putin to deal to buy fertilizers for our right. agriculture business, right? Like a month before the war. And the whole media, the liberal media criticized him. Are you going to sit down with Vladimir Putin? He's a dictator and this and that. And President Bolsonaro was very straightforward and said, I'm going there to meet with him because our country needs to eat. We need fertilizers and they are the main source of our fertilizer. So, yes, I'm doing this. So that was uh, beginning of this year. And, you know, soon enough, the whole world, even United States, don't have fertilizers. Canada, does; they don't have fertilizers. Last year, Brazil sent to United States, I don't know how many tons. We can Google to see how many tons, like tons, like two 
huge ships of fertilizers because it's like it's overwhelming we just have way too much now and we're feeding the whole country we're feeding the world and because of that our food prices went down and helped our inflation to be completely under control for gas prices even with the war for gas prices bolsonaro cut the federal taxes he said we're gonna cut this brazil needs to keep operating and everything is going smooth in brazil in that sense our economy is thriving and yet they still need to take him down for whatever i don't like him he's not part of the system he's not a he's not part of the establishment yeah, it's just frustrating to see. And the fertilizer thing, I just finished reading a book uh, by Peter Zihan, was just that's he spends an entire chapter on world agriculture and how Russian fertilizer being cut off is going to damage so many countries because they're the number one exporter of fertilizer on earth right now. And actually, um, we have right down the street from me a wonderful Brazilian coffee place. And what they do is they're sent coffee beans from their family farm. And I'm probably going to get the pronunciation wrong. Please forgive me. Minas Gerais. Is that how it's? That's my state. Oh, that's your state. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, yeah, right down the street, one of the best uh, coffee houses in town. Um, They uh, provide fantastic coffee. But yeah, it's all just flown in straight from their family farm. And they roast it up here. And I will send you a pound of their wonderful coffee. So lovely. Thank you. you. Since we have the Brazilian connection here. Well, you have 1.5 million followers on Twitter, which shows your reach in Brazil and beyond. Where can people find you online? Uh, I am on Twitter on uh, Ana Paula Volley because, you know, I was a professional volleyball player. Uh Uh-huh. I uh I I played for Brazil in four Olympic games. Yes, I'm that old. When you do the math, people oh four four times. Oh my gosh! Like yes, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I uh, I met my husband uh, who also played for United States volleyball. Oh, great. Yeah, and uh, it, I I just I moved to United States twelve years thirteen years ago, but you know. You, you just don't move countries and rip your flag out of your heart exactly. and say, I'm not part of. So from here also, I have like a different perspective for things that I think I might uh, help Brazilians to see in a different way. The pragmatism of Americans, you know, I keep telling Brazilians, for an instance, because we are a very Christian country in Brazil. Um, uh, Catholics, I think they're like 80% and then Protestants, another 20 something percent. So I keep telling Brazilians, like, it's okay if you don't like Bolsonaro, but think about what evangelicals did here in 2016 when they voted for Donald Trump, just, uh, you know, aiming the Supreme Court nominees uh, so we can overturn Roe v. Wade. Because this, this abortion speech, John, that it's part of like women's health, this is coming to Brazil and they want to just, you know, do the same here. And I keep telling them like, look, the dividends that evangelicals, they 
they thought about it in 2016, the dividends were paid now in June when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. So pick one side, pick one issue, be a single issue voter, because Brazilians sometimes, John, they're very passionate about, they want a president that uh, is eloquent and that is presidential and then it's nice with animals and this and that. And I just keep telling them, look, look at Ronald Reagan in, in the United States. He had all of this. He was charismatic. He was handsome. He was nice. He could talk. And he was too a Nazi for the liberals. Right. So just focus on actions, on government platforms, on what they're going to do for your life. That's it. So that's um, I said this because this is what I keep posting on my Twitter, on my Instagram. Uh, and at Joving Pun now that unfortunately we are kind of limit, limited till Friday, the things that we can say about Lula, but we, we can continue to say on our social media. But this Supreme Court justice that now is presiding the electoral court in Brazil, Alexandre de Moraes, who was uh, perfectly portrayed on the Wall Street Journal article that I sent you, He's a, he's a dictator. He's a dictator. He's a tyrant. And he thinks his pan can sign whatever he wants. So he tries to shut down social accounts, media, media outlets, but he can't reach my account, my Twitter account and my Instagram account because I live in the United States. I'm still protected by the First Amendment. I'm an American citizen. So they can't reach my social media accounts. And that's where... I keep posting things that Brazilians, unfortunately, now sometimes they're not um, allowed to say. Just um, one last thing that I don't know if you know, but Alexandre de Moraes put a congressman in jail for something wow. he said on YouTube, a congressman, without any due process, without any lawyers involved. He simply said, I didn't like what you said on YouTube. I'm throwing you in jail. And he stayed in jail for eight months until President Bolsonaro uh, pardoned him with the with the presidential pardon. Wow. Yeah. Crazy times. Well, yeah, hopefully the good guys will win in Brazil. Thanks so much for um, just being out there and speaking up for the Brazilian people. Um, wonderful to have you on and hopefully uh, help us Americans uh, in the United States, uh, figure out what's going on throughout Latin America, in Brazil, and uh, anywhere we can help out, we, we want to do that. For th yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Absolutely, John. Thank you so much for uh, being interested in bringing uh, the truth to Americans. Uh, so I invite everybody to read that article uh, that it was uh, released yesterday on uh, the Wall Street Journal, but also... Tucker Carlson was in Brazil for a week and he had a long documentary about Brazil and how China is trying to buy the entire Brazil and how President Bolsonaro is fighting. He interviewed Bolsonaro is a long and very rich, full of details of our reality in Brazil. So I invite you all to check on Tucker Carlson uh, documentary about Brazil. It's very, very interesting. And it's going to show Americans a lot of things that are happening in Brazil but the liberal media in the United States will not show, or if they do, they will distort a lot.
So thank you, John, for having me. Oh, you bet. Thanks so much. And we will include links in the show notes. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, John. Okay, I got a great package about two weeks ago, a set of new sheets from Cozy Earth, and they are awesome. They're absolutely fantastic. They're the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. Sleep like a baby in them. It keeps me cool because I tend to roast at like a thousand degrees every time I fall asleep. And uh, these keep you cool. They look really nice. So I highly recommend them. Cozy Earth sheets are made from premium 100% viscose from bamboo, which means they're super soft, lightweight, and temperature regulating, so you'll sleep more comfortably year-round. Never worry about hot flashes again. Um, I don't have hot flashes. I'm just in a continuous hot flash my entire life and have been since I was born. Cozy Earth was created to enhance people's lives by offering the softest, most luxurious, and responsibly sourced bedding in the world. With over 5,000 five-star reviews, they have never wavered on that promise. Cozy Earth products are so amazing, they've been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things four years in a row. Cozy Earth offers a 100-night sleep guarantee, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, and try it out. If you're not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. I guarantee you're going to have a great sleep and you won't want to send it back. Cozy Earth bedding comes in white along with four natural colors like gray, driftwood, charcoal, and oat. And for a limited time, you can order their bedding in two new colors, olive and navy. Plus, every bedding item comes in a beautiful, reusable canvas tote which my daughter is now using as a book bag. Cozy Earth's bedding, towels, and clothing are all warrantied against piling, discoloration, and shredding. You can rest assured that any defects are covered and replaced immediately. So whether it's their best-selling luxury sheets, ultra-comfortable loungewear, or new bath collection, you'll absolutely love shopping at Cozy Earth. As a King of Stuff listener, you can save 35% on Cozy Earth products. Get cozy now. Go to CozyEarth.com stuff and be sure to enter stuff at the checkout to save 35%. That's a great deal. All is backed by a 100-night sleep guarantee. That's CozyEarth.com stuff. And thanks very much to Cozy Earth for the great sheets and for be sponsoring the King of Stuff podcast. Okay, wanted to do a roundup of stuff going on in the news to close out the show. I don't know if you saw any of it. The John Fetterman, Dr. Oz debate was painful. Everybody was uh, telling jokes, feeling sad, watching Fetterman, who had a stroke the day before the primary, and uh, his campaign has just hit it. Um, his wife has hid how bad the damage is. He was trying to avoid doing a debate at all. He finally agreed to do it four weeks after early voting started. So they just had it on uh, Tuesday night. Was that October 25th? And it went very, very poorly. Uh, interesting for a debate. They finished the deal with a music number. So the first voice you hear is Dr. Oz. The second is Fetterman's. Listen to that. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper Come let's mix Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? 
Yeah, I kind of told a similar joke on Twitter last night. A lot of people said, that's mean. And I went, yeah, yeah, you know, comedy is not pretty, folks. I'm very sorry. Um, and yeah, the, the thing is, we don't want to attack Fetterman for having a health issue. We want to attack his wife who has propped, prompted him to continue this stupid campaign instead of letting him rest because she's wants to be the power behind the throne, apparently. And everybody around him in the campaign who has been continually lying about him for months when they could have had another Democrat like Connor Lamb that would probably be wiping the floor with Dr. Oz right now, who hasn't run a great campaign outside of the past month or so. But here are actual Fetterman quotes from the debate to give you a little flavor of how poorly it went for him. Hi. Good night, everybody. Once again, I would just like to say that I... My campaign is all about fighting for anyone in Pennsylvania that ever got knocked down, that had to get back up again. You know, I'm also fighting for any forgotten community all across Pennsylvania that ever got knocked down, that had to be made to get back up. You know, I've made my entire career dedicating to those kinds of pursuits. I started as a GED instructor back in, in Braddock over 20 years ago because I believe it's about serving Pennsylvania, not about using Pennsylvania for uh, their own end interests as well. Uh, to me, careers are revealed uh, by your, your real underlying values. And my values have always been about fighting for forgotten communities all across Pennsylvania. And how can a man, you know, with with you know ten gigantic mansions, you know, has am uh, willing to talk about a, a willing wage for anybody? Imagine a signal mom trying with two children trying to raise with them, realizing making thirty one thousand dollars a year, you know, fifteen dollars an hour. Uh, yeah, again, my doctor L believes that I'm fit to be serving, and that's what I believe is where I'm standing. Not good. He's not ready for prime time. He's not ready for a debate stage. Um, all over Twitter last night, though, leftist politicians and media people were saying any criticism of Fetterman is ableist because he sounds like he had a stroke, which he did. And he sounds like he hasn't recovered and he refuses to release his actual medical records. I'm sorry. People have a right to know um, if their person uh, that they want to send to the Senate um, is capable of performing his or her duties. It is obvious Fetterman is not. Hopefully he will be again soon. But there's been many, many months he's been down and out and hiding kind of a Biden basement kind of strategy, uh, but talking even less than Biden did. Uh, not looking good. Not looking good at all. Biden actually met with him uh, about a week ago, I think it was, and Whew, that was uh, a great meeting of the minds. Algonquin Roundtable. Wit. Bristling wit from table to table there. Um, yeah, not looking good for Democrats in Pennsylvania. A lot of people are very alarmed about it. I wrote an article as well, being in Arizona, about what's going on with the Republican running for the Senate, Blake Masters, the Republican running for governor, Carrie Lake, and their opponents, I just kind of based it on the Democrats were trying to push people like Blake Masters and Carrie Lake during the primaries because they'll be, quote unquote, easy to beat. The same brilliant strategy they used to uh, prop Trump up in 2016. He ends up winning. That's how it's looking for both these guys. And I actually got some pushback. In your article, you shouldn't say that Hobbs is just terrible. Absolutely have run a great campaign. All the campaign staff there. I just see it as not an either or, but a both and. Uh, Lake has just been very aggressive, done a very good job. Masters has as well. 
And I do credit them in the piece that I wrote for the local paper, just saying, look, they're talking about what voters care about. I thought in the primary, a lot of Republicans were talking a lot about 2020. And I'm like, no, no, no. But once they went to the general election, they immediately started talking about the border, grocery prices, crime, how leftist their opponents are. Um, Yeah, they're doing great. They are doing great. Um, What's amazing to me is when politicians refuse to talk about the issues that voters care about and instead talk about things like January 6th, they talk about nonstop about abortion. That's what all the ads have been here from coming from the Democrats. They're ignoring the voters. Uh, the Democrats are. Republicans are not. They're actually listening to the voters and speaking to the voters. So um, good job to both those campaigns. On the Republican side, bad jobs to Hobbs and Mark Kelly. Not great. Not doing great, guys. Gloria Allred came out today with an allegation against Herschel Walker. I'm sure this is totally legit. You know, she's been giving these press conferences since, I don't know, probably 1992. And that's when this uh, allegation dates to. They won't reveal the woman's name, but they said she dated Herschel Walker in 1992 and saved a voicemail that he had left for her. I'm like, what, on 8-track? This is 30 years ago, folks. Maybe he left a voicemail insisting she watches the latest Arsenio Hall show or talking about a Boys to Men concert. Come on, 30 years ago. A little late to be bringing this silliness up. Okay, but enough about the midterms. Another article, that uh, article about Arizona Senate and governor went kind of viral, and then another one did too. And I guess it's just been something on my mind a lot for the past several months, maybe a year. Well, what happened is John Daniel Davidson, he's over at The Federalist. I think he's a senior editor or something like that over there. Um, but he had a big article that a lot of people were talking about, a lot of people were criticizing, called We Need to Stop Calling Ourselves Conservatives. My thing was, it's good to say we got to stop calling ourselves that, but uh, what the heck would we call ourselves? And so I just wrote about, because the name that I kind of like, and it's a little clunky, admittedly, instead of conservatives, we should call ourselves restorationists, or at least consider ourselves that. That's how I've been considering myself lately. Because there's still a few things left to conserve, but mostly we're trying to reverse a lot of the bad things. Go back to the constitutional order, essentially. Not turn back the clock, but uh, turn back the leftist tide and restore a lot of things going on. And not only in the courts, not only in politics, in our culture generally. And the best way to do that, of course, people on the left are like, oh, that means you're a Nazi because they're very creative with their insults. No, what it means is this is more an on-the-ground situation where we need to restore our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, ourselves. Start with that. That's the best way to make these things happen, not really a top-down thing. But politicians need to uh, face this stuff as well. But Reagan, who's kind of the gold standards, you know, modern Republicans are always going back to Reagan. Even though it's a completely different time, he was great for his time. I don't think we can do the same thing again, especially since the Soviet Union is gone, which was one of his big things. But he famously said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And he warned, he's like, we don't want to spend our sunset years uh, telling our children and grandchildren what it was once like in the United States where men were free. You know, it's not that dire. I don't want to, I'm not totally blackpilled about this stuff. But we're a lot less free than we were in the 1980s. You can just see it, you know, look around your neighborhood. Everybody's afraid they're going to get fired for saying the wrong things. So I just think we need to restore all facets of uh, our community life, business, politics, communities, you name it, and kind of reintroduce things. 
reintroduce the importance of family, of free speech, of freedom of religion, bring these ideas back into the workplace, civil society, and the academy as well. Um, yeah, so I kind of view going forward is restoring a lot of things rather than conserving things because uh, a lot of the things we are dedicated to conserve, they're gone, at least in huge swaths of American life. So talk about that. I will include a link to that in the show notes if you want to uh, bounce any further ideas off of there. And as always, if you want to comment on this podcast show notes or this article that I wrote at Ricochet, join Ricochet. It's dirt cheap. It's less than five bucks a month. You can write your own posts. You can create your own podcasts. You can comment on posts. It's a great place to be, and it's a great place to hash out these ideas. I kind of looked at this article about being a restorationist. I was surprised it got carried so far and kind of popped all, all over the internet. But it was really kind of a toss-off thoughts because the thing I like about uh, being able to blog there on the fly is I've always viewed it as intellectual prototyping. It's like, okay, here is a concept. Here's a general idea I had. Now go in the comments and rip it apart so I can kind of straighten it out, hone the arguments a little better, find out the negatives, the positive things like that. And uh, most people seem pretty positive to it in the comments. Some were like, nah, no, it's not a good way to go. But uh, I appreciate all the commentary. So if you want to hone my um, inchoate ideas, I love the word inchoate because that sounds really fancy. If you want to hone my inchoate ideas, uh, join Ricochet and you can slap me around in the comments. Do it politely. Give me compliments. Say I have nice hair or something like that. But yeah, you can slap me around in the comments there, both when you want to comment on the podcast or any of the genius posts that I place there. Okay, now it is time for the song of the week. Keeping with the Brazilian theme, I had to include my favorite song of all time. This is Ellis Regine and Antonio Carlos Jobim, Bossa Nova, which is one of my favorite styles of music. Uh, the thing about uh, Brazilian music that's different than other Latin music, like Spanish Latin, the Spanish music is more about um, how many beats can we fit into one song. It's all about excess. It's all about passion. Brazilian is just the opposite. It's all about understatement. And uh, that's why I love Bossa Nova. So here is Aguas de Marzo. And yes, despite all the indie rock, etc. and weird stuff I listen to, that is the greatest song ever made. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Anna Paula Henkel. Thank you to Cozy Earth. And uh, please rate, rank, review this fine podcast. Go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're hearing it. Give us five stars and leave a comment if you want on there saying how wonderful we are. That'd be great to hear. But thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.